in the midst of all the regulations that has been sent out over these past weeks, the United Free Church, the Principal Clerk and the Governance Committee, the Admin and Finance Committee as it was called, sent out a, a little edict or some information about a month ago. And I have to say, in first reading of it, I, I wasn't best pleased because it seemed to suggest that we weren't allowed to do anything in the church apart from perhaps gathering for private prayer. So I phoned up the convener of the Admin and Finance Committee, the Reverend Douglas Campbell, who's Minister of Mogai United Free Church. And I'm glad I did because clarification was received. It appears, and this is true not just for churches, this would be true for Bowling Greens or any other charitable body that would have a building meant for its own use. It would appear that such charities, churches included, um, are only meant to use their buildings for quite specific purposes, actually for the specific purpose of what the charity is set up to do. So, for instance, if you're a bowling green, you're only meant to use your buildings for purposes to do with playing bowls. And if you're a church, then you're only meant to use your buildings for spiritual purposes, for the purpose of worship. And chatting to Douglas, it, it was clear that worship includes not just a congregational gathering together for worship, perhaps on a Sunday morning, um, and especially at the moment anyway, with the regulations of numbers and we can't sing and a whole host of other things, then that would not just be suitable for everybody anyway, but also would include any other gathering where people can meet either for private prayer, where they can meet to hear devotionals, or where they gather together around God's Word for study and for um, prayer. And so the things we're doing at the present time, the church being open for private prayer, the church being open for devotionals, the church being open for four of our six fellowship groups to meet, these are what's allowed within a church building, but nothing else is allowed. No, that obviously applies. Some churches use their buildings for all sorts of things or have their buildings let out to all sorts of organisations. I got a phone call from the Lanarkshire Philatelic Society asking if perhaps a building might be able to be used. And I had to say no, um, because it's only to be for spiritual purposes. But that would also include organisations within the life of the church. So if you had a craft group, that wouldn't be allowed. And I'm afraid to say that would also include things like the Ladies' Association and our coffee service. Um, other good opportunities, and there's nothing wrong with these groups, but under the current regulations, they are not specifically spiritual in the sense that they're there for worship of God or for private devotions or for gathering around God's work. That could appear, and I'm sure in many churches up and down our land will appear, very restrictive. But actually, it's a good reminder as to what churches are all about. Sometimes, that would be true of park, but sometimes some churches really become effectively community centres, social places for a community. People come together, and again, I'm not saying these things are wrong, but they can become so caught up with that that what takes place in terms of, for instance, a Sunday morning or any other spiritual exercise almost becomes secondary or maybe even forgotten about. And even within a church like ours, active in its own way with different things going on, it's good for us to be reminded what is our charitable purpose, where our charitable purpose is in a sense to know Christ and to make him known. And, and, and that's what stands, that's not just the motto that we have had over a number of years outside in our notice board or, or anywhere else, but that's the very heart of what it is to be the people of God. And so, despite all the restrictions and the negativity and the problems of lockdown and regulations and everything else, there are a number of things which are forcing the Church of Jesus Christ and congregations like our own to refocus on what the Christian life together, corporately and individually, is all about. 
And of course, part of that Christian life is prayer. It's interesting, the first thing that churches were allowed to do was to open for private prayer. Indeed, that was the first and only thing we were allowed to do for a couple of months. And we as a church did that right away. But even there, there maybe would be some debate. Some perhaps people feel, well, of course, we don't need to go to church to pray. We can pray in our own homes. We can pray when we're going about. And of course, that's completely true. And within our own tradition, the church being open for that type of thing isn't particularly common. But yet, I think, again, it's helped us to refocus on the centrality of prayer as being essential to the spiritual life of a people of God. And so over the next four Sundays, we're going to look at some prayers from the New Testament, Paul's prayers for Christians. Writing, he was writing to churches that themselves were going through challenging times and were going to be facing some very real obstacles in the months and years that lay ahead. And so prayers that were written at a time of challenge and prayers for us today as we live through the current challenge circumstances. And so I invite you to get your Bibles to have them open at Paul's letter to the Colossians, at Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to read the first seven verses, or eight verses. I'm going to read the first part, really, of what is this prayer that Paul has for the church in Colossae at the beginning of his letter. Let's hear God's word together. Colossians chapter 1, and reading from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Amen. And may God bless to us this reading and hearing of God's Word. Paul here speaking about how he prays for fellow Christians. He prays for the church in Colossae. And he tells us right at the very beginning of this prayer, after giving his customary introduction that he's writing to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, and we could say to God's holy people in Uddingston, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, you could take that opening greeting and apply it to any gathering of God's people in any part of the world. Um, after saying that, he tells us that he always thanks God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when he prays for them. And it's good for us, and we're just going to look at some simply some very basic points of prayer. It's good for us to remember that when we talk to God, and of course that doesn't have to, have to take place inside a church building or at a particular set time. Paul elsewhere tells us that we're to pray without ceasing, which means not that we are constantly on our knees 24-7, but that as we go about life, as we live out our life, we do so in that communication, in that intimate connection with the Creator of heaven and earth, with the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that idea of prayer being, uh, being encompassing the whole of life and, and, and our daily activities. But he tells us that when he consciously thanks God or comes to God to remember the church and policy, he does so with thanksgiving. 
And that might seem quite obvious, but I have to say to us, do we remember that when we talk to God? Or do we rush in with our demands, our requests, or our worries, our concerns, especially at the present time? We're told, of course, that the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus gave us, Our Father, hallowed be your name. And, and I think that's good to remember, that the very beginning of our prayers, we are to call upon God, to recognise who God is, and to be thankful before him. He's the God who grace and peace, Paul tells us here, whose grace and peace revealed in Jesus Christ enables us to have an intimate relationship with God. And so should we be thankful for that, that we can talk to him, that we have that connection with him. And we're also called to be thankful for the good blessings he's given us in life. He, Paul tells us we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. We are to be thankful to God for his grace and peace and mercy revealed in Jesus Christ for who he is, but we're also to be thankful to God for the relationship we have with brothers and sisters in Christ. So often within the church, when we think of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we think of our friends, those people that we sit beside in the church, those people that we are naturally drawn to, those people that we used to socialise with, perhaps over a cup of coffee or, or at some other event, and the people we would sit beside and ultimately gravitate to. And even the best church is made up of these types of gatherings. And of course, that's natural. But interesting here, Paul's writing to people, some of whom, many of whom he wouldn't really know. Yes, he was used by God to found the church in Colossae, but he wasn't able to FaceTime or WhatsApp or Skype these people. He couldn't see them with his own eyes. He wouldn't really know. He heard from Epaphras, his dear fellow servant, how things were going, but he didn't know them personally. And yet he thanked God for them and for the bonds of fellowship and for the connection that they had through the love that they showed for God's people. This is a supernatural connection with people, irrespective of who they are, of what their personality is like, of where they stay, and of what their background is. And we need to be thankful to God for these bonds of fellowship. And so I encourage you in a very practical way this week as we come before God, as perhaps you sit in your own home or as you're walking about or doing whatever you do, or perhaps as you come along to the church and sit quietly for a period in the sanctuary, that you consciously, as you begin to talk to God, you thank him. You thank him for who he is. You thank him for his grace and mercy and peace revealed in Jesus Christ. But also you thank him for being part of a Christian family. And not just a Christian family within Park, but the family of God's people throughout the world. That you've been brought into that fellowship of the Holy Spirit that connects you with others. And perhaps quite consciously, don't just thank God for the people that you know, that you like, that you're pally with, that you're friendly with. But consciously think of the person who might sit in a different position in the church. That person you don't know so well. That person you might meet in the street and just give a wee nod to. Consciously thank God for the fellowship that you have with these people. That's an expression of what Paul talks about here, of the love that we have for all God's people. That love of God is not just for the people perhaps we naturally are drawn to or like, but it's for all God's people, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And consciously thank God this week for them and for the connection you have with them. So prayer, prayer is about thanking God. And prayer then also, and these verses also tell us that prayer inhabits a very different domain from, from purely the material. 
purely the, the things that we can touch and see and have round about us. Look what he says. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard and the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Now, Paul here, of course, later on in the letter, he expands on that bigger supernatural theme of the gospel. But again, it's just important for us to remember at the very beginning that prayer is supernatural. Prayer inhabits the other domain from the material here and now. You know, during lockdown, during this period, people tell us that um, iPlayer and Channel 4 on Demand and all these kind of types of programs on television have been very well used as people have been looking around for things to watch. And if you do go on to any of these things or are aware of anything that goes on in the media or the wider um, film circumstances, you'll notice that so many of the programs, so many films, so many even documentaries and dramas have a supernatural line to it. There's maybe a psychic or there's some other kind of otherness written into the story. Um, and especially amongst younger people, there's a great um, desire or interest in all of that. It's not that we don't live in an age where the supernatural, the other, the unexplainable, the mystery of things is completely ignored. In fact, in many ways, as I say, it's often part of a story or a drama or something else. It's not that we don't live in an age where that's real, but we do live in an age where most people don't connect that with Christianity. They see Christianity being an institution, a building, a, a, a form of religion, a human-based, a human-centred activity that people do, a club where like-minded folk gather together. That's again why it's important to remember that Christian fellowship isn't just with the folk that we like or naturally are drawn to. And they dismiss that and think, well, that's just a club, that's a group, that's for old folk or whatever. That's not for me. I'm more into the otherness expressed in other faiths or in other, other ways of encountering supernatural things. But interesting enough, Paul here tells us, and he's writing at an age where likewise there was plenty of temples, plenty of supernatural activity going on, but he reminds the people he's writing to that he's praying for them and he's giving thanks to God for them because they themselves inhabit a supernatural domain. He talks about um, that love and faith that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel. Later on in his letter, later on in chapter 1, he talks about Christ. He talks about, verse 27, his prayer is that he might make known to them or that God has made known to the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'll read again. To them, verse 27, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. In you, the hope of glory. Did you know that that's one of the texts and one of the windows in our church? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's supernatural reality. We live as Christians, yes, in the midst of COVID-19, yes, in the midst of the current regulations and restrictions, yes, in the midst of a world which has so much beauty, so much potential, so much wonderful things to be thankful for, but also so much injustice, so much strife, so much pain and so much suffering. We live in the midst of that, but that little world in which we inhabit, that little globe of which we're part, is in the vastness of the universe, and as believers, we exist in this world in the vastness of the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Christ, of the supernatural realities of the heavens. This is not what it's all about. 
And we've said often over these past weeks and months that that's one of the real problems, that people think perhaps that this is all that we've got, but it's not. There is that heavenly domain, that heavenly reality that encompasses this passing 70 or 80 years of earthly existence. And our prayers are meant to be informed by that bigger picture. So often when we pray, you know, it's great Aunt Aggie's, you know, sore foot or bad leg, or it's, it's made up of, you know, the immediate circumstances that we are troubled about. And of course, they may have a part. Of course, we should be talking to God about these things. But so often in our prayers, we all are guilty of just praying about the, the immediate. And we lose sight of the fact that we're part of that heavenly perspective. How do we have the mind of Christ that Paul talks about in his letters? We have it when we're aware of that bigger picture. And Paul here says that those bonds of faith and love that bind them together with other believers throughout the world that he's thankful about come out of, spring out from the hope stored up for us in heaven. Prayer has that eternal, heavenly, supernatural perspective. But, but, thirdly, it's not so heavenly minded that there's no earthly use. Look at what he goes on to say, verse 6. In the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Yes, prayer focuses on the supernatural, focuses on the spiritual, focuses on the heavenly perspective. It brings to mind that bigger story. But it's also about the here and now. It's about gospel growth in our world. Are we aware of that? Do we, when we come to God in prayer, thank God, not just for the benefits of fellowship with those round about us, not just for the hope of heaven, which we have in Jesus Christ, the hope of glory which we have in Jesus Christ, not just about spiritually making us alive and aware of these things, but do we have that bigger perspective? Perhaps over the years you've received from the church, as you will have, because I know because I was involved in handing them out, various bookmarks, for instance, this one about Sat 7, this one about Sazra, a Christian ministry amongst those who are in our armed forces, this one from Released International Voice. You know, and perhaps we receive these book tokens, or book, not book tokens, but book markers. What did we do with them? Have we got them in our Bibles? Do we look at them? Do we think, well, what should I be praying about for Release International? How should I be praying for our armed forces and the work of Sazer? What about Sat 7 and their television media ministry as it takes the gospel into the, the Middle East, into countries that, humanly speaking, can't be reached? Do we receive any prayer letters? Um, we have a mission board up in the church, and many of us do support our missionaries, but do we, do we take their prayer letters? Do we find out, for instance, about Latin Link and the work of Andrew Robertson in Bolivia? Or do we continue to remember Catherine Anwar and her work in Spain? Or do we uplift the thing, pray for schools, that Elizabeth produces, the update for Scripture Union, its work among schools? That's only just some things in passing. Or do we get the paper? Or when we go online, do we look at the news and think, well, what does it mean to pray for what we're thinking? What does it mean to pray for President Trump? There's this picture on the front page of this paper. What does it mean to do for that? You know, the ultimate couples test. Well, what does it mean we pray for marriages and for relationships, especially during this time of stress? Do you see what I mean? 
we're, we're called to be engaged in prayer for our world and for fruitfulness within our world. That's what Paul's saying. In the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood, is your prayers about people to come to faith. Are people being used by God to help others come to faith? Is your prayers taking that supernatural spiritual perspective and praying that into the very challenging real circumstances that are going on in our world and within our community today? Prayer is focused. It's focused on bearing fruit. It's focused, yes, in those who follow Jesus, becoming more Christ-like, revealing the fruit of the Spirit. But it's also, as I've repeatedly said, it's also really to do with the fruit that Jesus says, you shall bear much fruit, fruit that endures. And what is that fruit? That fruit is in other people's lives being discipled and nurtured in the way of Christ. People to come to faith and to go on walking in faith. Is that what we're praying about within our Erickson, within our world, through these various organisations, as we hear and read the newspapers, that focus on spiritual discipleship, people coming to faith and growing in the faith. Paul rejoices that the gospel is bearing fruit, and that, my friend, is the case. Even in these challenging times, the gospel is bearing fruit throughout the whole world, and it has been doing so since these people first believed and understood God's grace, God's big plan to have that church, to have that bride of Christ, that church that Jesus said he would build and nothing would prevail against it, well, in prayer, we tap into that and begin to understand that and engage with that and are involved in seeing it growing in our world. And lastly, prayer is being thankful. Prayer inhabits eternity and, and the spiritual domain. Prayer is fruit-focused, but prayer is also servant-focused. Notice just as we draw to a close, verse 7. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Can I say I'm very conscious of your prayers, the prayers certainly of my own congregation who are listening to this over these past six months, and I value that greatly as I and others have sought to discern, Karen and others within the church have sought to discern the way ahead. We value your prayers as we've sought to understand and to follow the various regulations and everything else, but also discern about a way in which as a church we can continue in a meaningful way to function. And can I thank you for your prayers and can I say that your prayers have been answered? Obviously, things are not the way that any of us would like. This you normal really isn't very normal. But yet, as I've said to the elders just the other week and to our managers this past week, despite these challenges, God has led us through meeting like this on a Zoom on a Sunday morning or at other times on YouTube, through opening our church up for private prayer, through using that time now for devotionals, and I encourage you if you're not already accessing that, and if you're able to come out to access that, and through the people who are accessing our fellowship groups. We now have six fellowship groups running, as well as Connect, on a Monday evening, ministering to a large number of people. I think we're talking about 60 different people. And that's a large part of our congregation. That's very, very encouraging. There is fruit being born even in the midst of these challenging times. And that's a result of your prayers, our prayers, for God's work. It's focused on people. It's focused on ministry. Paphras is commended. He's commended as a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. And our prayers are focused on ministry, which is far more than just the minister. It's any opportunity every opportunity 
where we might understand, as Paul says here, truly understand God's grace. And our prayers are focused on ways in which people, both within the church and outside of the church, can both encounter and then understand more of God's grace. And that, of course, happens when the Holy Spirit is allowed to do his work. And so our prayers are focused on people. I thank you for my prayers, for the prayers for Karen, for the prayers of the leadership within the United Free Church. We're a very small denomination, and these are big challenges. Do pray for the leaders of the United Free Church. If you don't already, take a copy of, of Steadfast, the UF Church magazine, then get one from the church and begin to use that for your prayers. Pray for the leaders of the bigger churches in our nation, especially those who particularly have contact with the government at this present time, as they seek to ensure that churches can stay open, despite the fact that many other places are under threat of closure, at least for a period. Pray for those who have bigger global concerns for the church, the different missionary organizations we support, Scripture Union, how we thank God that although we're going into a week of, 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 of shutdown in many ways within central Scotland, there are 50 young people this weekend online at a conference of discipleship, for discipleship so that they might grow and understand more of God's grace. And 50 young people are accessing that. And during this coming week, although they can't have camps in the traditional sense of the word, 150 young people, again, online are accessing daily camps or day camps, again, online. It's amazing what can be done. And we pray for these things quite specifically. We name names, the apaphrases of our day, those faithful people who God has put onto our hearts. We name names and we pray for ministries and we give thanks to God that it's bearing fruit. So we draw to a close. We're going to move on next week to the next part of this prayer. But as you can see, prayer is an amazing thing. It opens up. It's far more than us telling God our moans or groans and our complaints or remembering what often, frankly, is pretty trivial and banal. It's an entering into a whole new world of reality. It's the talking to the God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an intimate connection. It starts with thanksgiving, and it leads us on into a other world of reality and of understanding where we pray quite specifically for the kingdom to grow, for people to come to faith, and for God to use his servants to help us all become more aware of his grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. Let that be a starter for this week. Make that. Take some of the points you've heard and pray it in. Go back onto YouTube again and listen perhaps to the message so you can think about it a wee bit more. And this coming week, pray that into your prayers. And next week, we'll move on to the next part. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we do thank you that we can talk to you that you are with us, that you abide within us by the Holy Spirit. And you invite us to come to you, our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we thank you that as we talk to you, so we enter into that other domain. And Lord, how many ways we want to escape from the present hassles and stresses and strains and, and, and how easily we can become so pulled down and narrowed in in our focus. And we thank you that when we start talking to you and when we start reading your word, and even I pray, Lord, this morning as we've heard your word, you'll just make us aware of that bigger story, that bigger picture, that bigger reality that in Jesus Christ you call us and bring us into. And we do pray for your gospel work. We pray for these SU day camps online. 
We pray for the, the, the weekend conference for young people being discipled in the faith. We pray for Sat7 and their use of media, beaming in the gospel and, and helpful Christian teaching and encouragement into the Middle East, particularly into countries that can't normally get the gospel. We think of Catherine Anwar, our missionary partner. We think of Andrew Robertson in Bolivia. We think of the work of Release International and the great challenge of so many believers under persecution today. We think of James, the Scottish rep for that, who's been at our own church. Lord, there's so many other things. If you start mentioning names, we think of the people in the church. Yes, the ones we know well, that we sit beside and we're drawn to, but also the folk we don't know so well. The people we maybe only see in passing, we nod to at best, and we remember them and picture them before you. We don't know all that's going on in their lives, but you do. And in love and in care is an expression of our love for you. In love, we pray for them and commend them to you now. We thank you for prayer, the very breath of life for a believer. Teach us, Lord, like the disciples of old, we say to you, teach us, Lord, how to pray. And I pray that you will use your word over these coming weeks to teach us more about prayer, all for the glory and honour of Jesus' name. Amen.